Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series, Help My Unbelief. In this series, we dive into one of the most challenging topics in the Christian walk, doubt. Not only is doubt natural, but we believe that by grounding ourselves in the truth of God's Word, the Lord will use our doubts to quicken us back to Himself. Over these four weeks, we hope to unearth what it looks like to grow in uncertainty, clinging to Christ while walking alongside Christian community. As I stood down here and we started singing, Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood, to my life, the blood, the power of the blood. You know, it, it's kind of, a, 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 kind of almost a grotesque thing uh, from the world's perspective to talk about blood. But it was the blood of Christ that covered <laughs> every crevice, every space. So to, for our team to lead us in a place where we get to worship this God and point us towards God. Listen, cherish that. You know, there are places in this world that you can't do that in the open. Take a second to think about this. There are Christians all over this world that don't get to attend a building on Sunday with other believers and and lift the name of Jesus. They have to hide away because they would be killed. What a privilege. What a privilege we have to do this, to get together. Don't take it for granted. I think so many of us take it for granted. We just come and go and it's so normal to us that we miss it. We miss this thing that we get to do each week. Don't miss it today. Cherish it. Last week was week one of Help My Unbelief. And and we defined doubt as this. We said to believe is to be in one mind about accepting something is true. So to believe is to be in one mind about believing something is true. And to disbelieve is to be in one mind that something is not true or rejecting something. To be in doubt, everybody say doubt, is to waver between the two. To doubt is to be, in definition, in two minds. Not one. And last week we ended by saying we will use our doubts to pursue Jesus, not to run away. Because it's in our doubts that we are most often to back away. But no, we have decided we will use our doubts to pursue him, not to run away. In today's text, we see a shifting expectation. We talked a little bit about this last week, that a lot of our doubts, a lot of our disappointment come from unmet expectations. How many of you've ever been, how many of you've been married? Okay, let's, let's see our married crowd. Okay, um, you didn't have to stay married. I'm just talking, you know, just don't, we're not that place, okay? You, oh, you know, 
No, you're loved here. Um, how many of you have had friendships? Oh, y'all thought I was just talking to married people. No, okay. How many of you have had relationships with family? Yeah. So that's everybody in the room, right? And relationships are built on a foundation of expectations. Expectations. Now, the number one thing I talk to married couples about, and I counsel, obviously, more than just married people, but I see it most often in married folks, is one of, I'd say, top five. Top five reason marriages have problems. You ready? Friendships, family relationships. You know why they have problems? Unmet expectations. And most of those expectations were never communicated in the first place. We expect something of people that we've never told them we expect. And so when they don't meet the expectation, then, oh, we're going to let them have it. Right? I told my wife I wasn't going to bring her up today, so I'm not going to bring up <laughs> I'm not going to bring up how many times my wife will be upset with me. Hey, 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 men, hear me. This will speak to you. And you'll go around all day going, what'd I do? <laughs> Am I preaching? That's okay. What'd I do? Have you ever had that one friend that's always upset with you? That one family member, something's always got, the, got them all twisted up and, and you just sit around going, what happened? What happened? Well, it could be a plethora of things. I can't even list, the, I can't even list them all. But you know what I'm talking about. Relationships are built, every relationship is built on expectations. We all have them. Um, the hardest part of our life, for many of us, are unmet expectations. Or when someone doesn't meet an expectation. Nothing, nothing feels worse than just being let down. You ever been let down? Yeah. A fundamental phrase we use in the Christian life is that we should have a relationship, right, with God. So you know what this means? We also have those same expectations of God. And hear me when I say this, a lot of our doubt, say doubt, a lot of our doubt comes because we've defined God Outside of this, by what we think he should do and be, and then when he doesn't do those things and he isn't that way, this God that we've built in our minds that makes us most comfortable, then all of a sudden we start doubting in God when our expectations were never right to begin with. 
Some of us brought expectations into our relationship with God and we become frustrated and doubt his loyalty when he doesn't meet those expectations. That's where we find ourselves in scripture today. Um, So let me just give you, um, Miss Emma read this, so let me just give you a brief picture of what's going on here. Peter and Jesus um, have just had this little alter, not altercation, but like a revelation, okay? Um, Just previous to this, in verses 13 through 20, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Okay? Who do people say that I am? And the the scripture says that his disciples replied to him, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, everybody knows Simon? Everybody's got a Simon Peter in their lives. Loud mouth, oftentimes it just jumps out before they, uh, oh, you don't wanna talk about it. Okay, fine, we'll move on. Oh, because you're it, okay. I see, I see, you're it. If you can't think of anybody, <laughs> you might be the one. But Simon Peter this time, Nails it. Not of his own accord, but listen to what happens. Jesus replied, or Simon Peter answered. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter goes, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Nails it. And this is what Jesus said to him. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Somebody say amen. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And this is odd. Watch this in 20. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Isn't that odd? Let's find out why. Let's look at this next text. We looked at 21 through 23. Have you ever met someone and you thought they were gonna be a certain way and they weren't? Okay. Have you ever gotten into a situation where it was supposed to go one direction, you had expectations that it was gonna go a certain way and it went another. I won't tell any more Woody stories, but I'll, I'll tell you, I've been in other, um, I told him I wouldn't do it. So I, I've been in situations that we, it was supposed to go this way and it went that way, okay? The disciples thought at this point these second temple Jews, they thought that this is how the storyline was gonna go. They thought that the Messiah that was prophesied, they grew up hearing these prophecies about the Messiah. They said that what their expectation 
was that Jesus was going to come, the Messiah would come, and that he would overthrow the human government, overthrow the earthly, fleshly kingdom that was there, and that he would then rule and reign. That's what they thought was going to happen, that he was going to come back, he was going to judge, and this is what the Messiah was going to do. So you can imagine, as they have now learned, he's the Messiah, right? That's what they just, Peter just came out with that through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So they know who he is. They've been following him all this time. And they think they know where things are going. But unfortunately, look at 21. Then on Jesus, uh, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Everybody say, tell it plain. That it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, and on the third day he would be raised. This is not what they expected. It's important for you to understand this. Their expectations had to shift Quickly. In fact, so quickly, look at Peter's response. Peter wasn't having it. Peter, this is wild to me. Peter just said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then he looks at the Messiah, the son of the living God, and he says, "Um, uh, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. He just looked at the Messiah, Jesus himself, and said, no way, that ain't happening. Who are you? Let me tell you something. Peter was a special bird, okay? Peter was something different. Peter said, no way. There's no way this is going to happen. Um, The Messiah was supposed to be a military king who would vanquish the Romans and establish his own kingdom. But Jesus had to constantly, throughout his whole ministry, tell the disciples, hey, here's how things are working down here. Here's how things work up here. In the different realms, okay? Here's the earthly, right here, here's, here's how things work in the spiritual. He constantly had to bring them down. As a matter of fact, so they have this interaction right here, right? Where Jesus then looks at Peter. This is how seriously Jesus took this comment. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Take yourself, look, let me tell you who you are not. You are not the hero of every Bible story. Can I tell you that? You're not the hero of every Bible story. You're the guy who doubts. You're the guy who falls short. What if Jesus looked at you and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. He says it right here. You are seeing things from a human point of view, not from God's. Your expectations are jacked up. Your expectations are all jacked up. Have you ever, um, how many of you like kids? Anybody like kids? Wait, you, you laugh like that's an automatic. I know lots of people don't like kids. And you know who they are. And it's okay not to like kids. I don't like mine sometimes. It's all right. You know, especially when I don't like my kids. Well, 
One's in the womb, so I can't, like, he ain't done nothing yet. But he will. And McKinley's just angry. She's got an attitude problem. Some of y'all never grew out of it. But we will talk about that later. My problem is with Macy most of the time, and I'll tell you why. You ever play a game with a kid? Like a game everybody knows the rules to? And then you, you start playing, right? And you, you play like the game is supposed to be played. And then that kid has the audacity to look at you and say, hey, you're doing it wrong. What do you mean? I've been playing this game for 33 years. What do you mean? You're playing it wrong. And then you get in an argument with a, with a six-year-old. And everybody's looking at you like you're weird and like, Calling CPS and stuff. But I mean, um, this is basically what, G- what, what Peter just did. Hey, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. That's not how it's supposed to work out. That's not, this is not how things are supposed to be. Have you ever looked at your life and said, this is not how things are supposed to be? Can I tell you today Can I just be honest? Can I just tell you that the problem is not with God? The problem is not with his word. The problem is with you. The problem is with your expectations. Peter still didn't get it. Even further down in the story, um, when they come to take Jesus, you know what Peter does? Peter says, no, this ain't happening. He pulls out his sword, chops the guy's ear off, one of the soldiers. Have you ever heard this story? You need to read the Bible. It's good. It's better than any TV show you'll ever watch. Chop the guy's ear off. Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy's head like that's normal. The Bible even says that they were taken back. Why would he do that? Isn't Jesus supposed to run? No. Why? Because He was here for a purpose. He had the perspective. He knew what was going on. He knew he had to die. He knew he had to be arrested and taken. Their limited perspective warped their expectations. And so they could not see things for what they truly were. Peter's mind was not set on God's desire or his perspective. Peter only saw his own perspective. Peter was only concerned about Peter. You you know when doubt shows up the most? When suffering comes along. Isn't that true? When hard times come? Isn't that when doubt sets in? That's when doubts rise to the surface. I compiled a list. Anybody like lists? Okay. If you like lists, take out your pen. I got one for you. Did some research. From what, this is not exhaustive, but let me give you the top eight false expectations people have of God. You ready? Or the Christian life. Number one, 
After I get saved and surrender my life to Christ, I can do it on my own. Now, for tenured saints, tenured people who have been doing this a while, this might not be true for you. You might understand. But some of us may have never gotten this notice. And so you get saved and you think, oh, I'm good now. I can handle it. Can I tell you that self-reliance and self-sufficiency is unrealistic? It's an unrealistic expectation. You know what you are? You are a package of weaknesses held together by divine grace. I hope you're ready to accept that today. Because when you try to do it yourself, we just talked about it. Who holds you fast? Is it you? No, it is God. He holds us fast. Colossians 1.17, I just quoted this to a friend this morning. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He holds it together. He holds us. Um, for some of us, we get saved and we think, well, if God's faithful, my life will be comfortable. And that is dramatically unrealistic. And some of us would say, oh, I know that's true, but you live your life as if, and get disappointed as if God's not keeping up his end of the bargain when it was never a part of the bargain to begin with. And I think many of us probably need to hear this. I know I do. You aren't the point. And this also applies not only with our relationship with God, but other people. Some of us, um, believe you operate as if you are the axis the world revolves on. People should be thinking about you and your happiness People should be um, dancing around your sensitivities. You aren't the point. And many of us, because of the culture we live in, we make, it then trickles into our faith. We make our faith me-centered. I got saved because of what he can do for me. You aren't the point. God is for God, okay? He is, yes, he loves you. He wants a relationship with you, but please don't warp his scripture to be about God trying to make you comfortable. It's not about you. It's about him. And when you come to that realization, all of a sudden, life will take a different perspective. Here's another one. Number two. Christians always have happy marriages. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> if you marry a difficult person, help me, Jesus. <laughs> My wife's a saint. Expect your marriage to be difficult. Temperaments clash in believers just as much as unbelievers. 
First Peter 3 makes it clear that believers struggled with marital problems. What did First Peter 3 say? Wives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Why do you think this is being said? Why do you think this is in scripture? Because they were having problems in marriages. Peter wrote this because there were, being, there were unloving husbands. And there were a ton of wives with million dollar hairdos. But there wasn't much else attractive about them. Oh, that we would understand that we can't get saved. We can't come into relationship with Christ and expect our marriages to fix. I, I, I counsel way more Christian marriages than I do um, unbeliever marriages. You know that? Part of it's because I'm in church. But Number three, Christians are always motivated to love, pray, and serve Christ. There are a lot of folks that start serving the Lord, start following after him, and they think when they give their heart to Christ, all of a sudden, they're just going to want to do all these things. And that's an unrealistic expectation. Unrealistic. Now, why am I preaching this today? Because if we don't expose doubt where it starts, then when you walk away, I'm trying to keep some of you from taking a journey you don't have to take. Okay? This journey of doubt. Christians struggle with mixed emotions. Um, Galatians 2.20 says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Okay? It is by faith alone that we can make this stuff work out. You in yourself are not going to make it happen. Okay? It takes the Lord. Number four, I got to move. Christians, this is an unrealistic expectation. Christians no longer struggle with sin, doubt, or fear. Galatians 5.17 says, The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. They are in conflict with each other. What is belief and disbelief? Right? Doubt is when you're going back and forth between the two. There is a warring going on in you. When, you've, when you um, come into um, serving, you make Jesus the Lord of your life, okay? Um, a couple things aren't gonna happen. You're not just gonna all of a sudden just have, um, you're gonna kill the loving, praying, serving Christ game. No, that needs to be developed in you. It's called sanctification. It's being made more like Christ on a day to day. And you will continue to struggle with sin, doubt, and fear. The difference being, I think, in those two things is this. Um, who has ultimate victory? Jesus does. We know, even though while we will struggle with sin, doubt, and fear, that we can put all those things to death because of the power of the cross. Number five. Christians, this is a, people believe this. This is an expectation people have. Christians feel pain less than Christ because Christ is with them. Christians feel pain because, less because Christ is with them. 
If you need a case study on how Christians, how people who love the Lord feel pain just as much as an unbeliever, read the book of Job. And what you will find out very quickly is that suffering, you don't become immune to suffering just because you're a Christian. Has a different outcome, but you're not immune to it. Two men break a leg, one's Christian, one's not Christian. You think the Christian's gonna feel less pain? No, still gonna hurt. Same grief, feels the same. Let's continue. Um, Number six, Christians who trust Christ shouldn't need medication. This is, all, this, this is something people believe. Now, I come from um, a, a tradition where, one, mental health is not talked about. Okay, if you've got mental health problems, it's because you're not, you don't love Jesus enough. And that's just not true. Okay? Um, I know lots of people who love, serve, and, and are vigorously for Jesus and struggle with their mental state. In fact, I, I had a story in here about a um, guy who uh, wrote music for Metallica. He wrote a song uh, called The God That Failed. And um, he came from a Scientology background. Ever, if, you've, if you haven't watched this on Netflix, you've got to watch it. It's wild. But in Scientology and a lot, Church of Science, a lot of these um, other Christian organizations, they say, if you're sick, you shouldn't seek medical help because you should have enough faith in Jesus. Let me tell you something. I have seen Jesus heal, and he can do it. There's no doubt in me about whether Jesus can heal. I've seen him do it. But can I also tell you this? Um, I've also seen people die who should have sought medical help. I've heard story after story of people refusing medication, refusing all types of things in the name of, oh, that Jesus is, you know, it's gonna affect my faith in Jesus or I, I need to have faith or whatever. And that's nowhere in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that we should forsake the common grace of medicine and doctors, all the things he's blessed us with. Pray to be healed. That's in there. Sure, yes, let's do that. Let's believe it'll do it. But listen, Christ has given us a lot of these common graces for us to use. Um, Number seven. Christians are safer, healthier, and wealthier than others. <laughs> you know, these, some of these gave me the giggles too, but these, this is a t- list of the top eight things. Christians have expectations of God. God never promised that Christians are less likely to have car accidents Um, There's no significant difference, statistically speaking, Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus that live healthier lives. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to the day? 
single out to your life? It's an unrealistic expectation. And honestly, if you look at the church around the world, you would see that that's absurd. Um, this particular Christians are safer, healthier, and wealthier um, is completely Western in origin. Last one. Christians don't get tired or discouraged. I can stand behind this pulpit today and acknowledge that that is not true. Of course we do. The Bible is so full of encouragements to what? Persevere. Why would perseverance be in the Bible? A characteristic of a Christian if we never were to face discouragement or hard times. These expectations are unbiblical. And if you go through a life with unrealistic, unbiblical expectations, you will live in a constant fog of doubt and discouragement, frustration, and disappointment. We have to ask ourselves a question today as the band comes back. We have to ask ourselves some questions today about our expectations. Is our relationship with God about him meeting all of our expectations? Take two seconds. Take a personal reflection just for a minute. Just, to, just take 30 seconds. Are you frustrated with God because you had expectations that weren't here? Because you crafted some of your own? I think many of us may worship different gods than the God of the Bible. I think some of us may worship gods that uh, fit our needs. And then when he doesn't, oh, well, then doubt starts to creep in. When God isn't meeting those expectations, do we doubt him? Or, here's the Reverse, is our relationship with God about him shaping our desires, perspectives, and understanding of life to his will and learning to trust him in the process? So what is it for you? I can tell you very transparently today, there are many things I used to doubt quite frequently until God proved himself. There were things I used to doubt quite frequently about. And it's because I shifted my expectations to his that those doubts disappeared. What did we say when we doubt? We go back to his promises. When our perspective seems askew and our expectations seem not to be met can I tell you the one thing that never fails is promises they are true and when we're going through hard times and he's doing some of this expectation adjusting in you and I when he's doing that you'll get to see God in a light that you've never seen him before. There's a song. And I'm just going to 
kind of read it to you. Andre Crouch wrote this song. And he, he said in, in, in one of the verses, he said, I thank God for the mountains. And I thank God for the valleys. And I thank God for the storms that he's brought me through. Because if I had never had a problem, I would not know that he could solve them. I could put my faith in what God can do. And then the chorus says, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I have learned to depend on his word. As he begins to shift our expectations, what, what's the first step? Recognize the doubt in you. The false expectations. Well, how do I see them? Well, maybe you're praying to a small God because you doubt he can... You know what I'm saying? My prayer life looks much different today than it did several years ago because God has revealed himself to be much bigger than I had ever anticipated. Is that okay to say? Some of us pray to a small God. We make small requests because we doubt whether he can actually do. Some of us don't give because we don't think he is sufficient to meet our needs. Some of us don't serve. Some of us don't confess our sin. Some of us distance ourselves from church when things get hard and expectations are unmet because there's a doubt that's creeping in. What do we do once we recognize doubt? We, we will use it to pursue God and not run away. And then what will we We will ask God to change our perspective and our expectations. Would you do that today? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.